year is 1989 and one of the most iconic performances ever is taking place on the stage in Lausanne. The conductor who is going down in history as the most energetic is also the composer of the song and the father of one of the singers. How did this original song come about? How was the newly formed Turkish group received in Switzerland? Why were they not rewarded with more points? And why were there never any more songs from the group Pan? My name is Emil Öfström and I have invited Hazal Selçuk, who in 1989 competed only 16 years old, to find out everything about one of the biggest favorites ever in the history of Eurovision. Bana bana! Merhaba and welcome to the Eurovision Legends, Hazal Selçuk. <laughs> That's great. I love it. I'm so honored to have you here, Hazal. Well, I am so happy to be here, Amy. I have so many great memories from my childhood watching your performance from Lausanne. Okay. I am I'm curious um, <laughs> about what, what you thought, because it, it was very unusual. Of course, but I loved it. I loved it from start. Okay, well, that's that's really great to hear. <laughs> How are you today? I am very, very well. Humor du? Oh, jag mår jättebra. I'm very fine. Jättebra. Jättebra. Jättebra, yes. I must ask, how often do people, because you are in California now, how that's often right. do people in the US pronounce your name Hazel instead of Hazal? So many times. So many times. And I'm I'm correcting that sometimes I, I just say, okay, I let this one go. <laughs> yeah. It's been 32 years since you and your bandmates charmed us all with your song. Does it feel distant? You know, it's very interesting. You sent me the uh the songs, the nine-minute video, and when I watched it. I thought, okay, this is probably how I'm going to feel about my life when I'm 70. I look back and I go, wow, it feels like yesterday and it also feels distant. It's both. Yeah. So it's a it's a complex thing. And everybody looked so young to me when I watched it now. But when I was there, everybody looked uh, so much older than me. Or it's they seemed so much older than me. Yeah. Uh, I want to take a short history lesson here. Yeah. You were born in Paris. Yes. Your father was the well-known co- composer, singer and conductor Timur Selçuk, yes. who conducted Turkey's first entry, Senin Leber Dakika, and composed the song Banabana. Yes. And we will talk much more about him later. Mm-hmm. His father, in turn, was the composer and tenor singer Münir Nurettin Selçuk, Nice pronunciation. Thank you. Perfect. And his uncle was the Grand Vizier of the Ottoman Empire, which means that he was the de facto Prime Minister for the Sultan in the Ottoman Empire. 
Yes, that's correct. And his son, your grandfather's cousin, married a princess. How do you know all this? Oh my god. And that was the end of the history lesson. Quite a pedigree, <laughs> Hazard. <laughs> right, right, right. That's amazing. How did you get all this information? You you are really, you could be a great detective. <laughs> Uh, how did this affect your life when, when you were young? Um, you know, when I was young, it was a normal thing. I just missed my father because he was working so much. So that's, that's what I remember. But I don't remember anything negative uh, about it. But one thing I wondered as a child and also later, do people really like me or do they like me because I'm my father's daughter, right? Mm. So I had to figure that thing out. Uh, it, was, it, it was a question I wondered sometimes and I put a lot of pressure on myself. So that, there was that side of it that I wasn't sure if, if I, was, I was liked because of me or because of my father. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. And your father started his career in the 60s yeah. and released his own compositions. Yes. And he was actually the first Turkish artist to record in France. And that's the first right. release was in French. Yes, that's right. And with the French spelling on his name, Timur. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We listened to your father's first single, Refait Ta Vie. Oh, Être heureux devant les gens Mais jamais, non jamais, je ne t'oublierai Mais toi il faut que tu m'oublies Sans crainte, refais ta vie Refais ta vie Tu ne viendras jamais This song was later translated and got the title. Oh, help me out here. Ayrilanlar Ijin. Ayrilanlar Ijin, yes. For those who part. Yes. How often did you hear that song when you were a child? So many times, and I have to tell you, when I was uh, in my father's concerts, I saw people cry when he sang, sang that song many times. So um, I don't know how many times I've heard it. I participated uh, later on with him in many of his concerts and I would come in, you know, the, the little um, accompaniment, the vocals, um, and I would accompany him. So it's a very touching song for me, especially now that he's gone. <laughs> Beautiful poetry. Yeah, and for me that does to understand a thing. It's amazing. It's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so you get the feeling of it too. Absolutely. Great, okay. And he continued to release his own material in both Turkey and France. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> 
Do you know how it came about that your father conducted Turkey's debut in Stockholm, 1975? You know, that's a good question. Uh, he came back to Turkey uh, in 1974, um, and he was—he wanted to. He said, "I want to, to. I want to serve for my country." And he loved Turkey. He loved being Turkish. He loved Turkish music. And I kept hearing that word uh, from him, I want to serve my country. So I think as soon as he came back, um, he was known in the music uh, circles and they asked him uh, to conduct. I don't know the details of the story, but uh, this is right after he arrived to Turkey from France. And Eurovision was a big deal, right? In the 70s and 80s in Turkey, so. Uh, they really wanted to make sure that it's it's quality work. Yeah. <laughs> Did he tell you any stories from Stockholm? No. Your father was a socialist? Yes. How much of a problem was that for him and your family in Turkey? Yeah. This is a really good question because it ties to uh, him participating in the national final for in uh, 1989. Uh, in 1980, there was a coup d'etat in Turkey, and um, a lot of people were affected by it, especially those who were raising their voice towards fairness and equality. And my father was one of those people, and his passport was taken away, so he couldn't leave the country for nine years. And he always told a story. Uh, he said, you know, I didn't want to complain about my country, going to another country and telling them, you know, this is what they're doing to me. No, I'm going to participate in this song contest. I'm going to win and they're going to give my passport to me. So the layers, there are deeper layers for him participating in the national uh, contest. They asked him for to, to compose a song. But the reason, uh, one of the reasons he agreed was uh, he wanted to get back his passport that way. Hmm. Yeah. 
Um, the reason I bring this up is because uh, the Swedish commentator said that he had lived in exile in Paris for 10 years because of his political opinions. Um, no, that's that's not accurate. He was uh, he went to um, study at Ecole Normale de Musique. Yeah. Um, and he stayed in Paris, and that's why I was born there. And then uh, this is what he told me over and over again. One day he said, okay, this is enough. I want to go back and I want to serve in Turkey. So, no, he wasn't in exile. How did your father present the song Bana Bana to you? Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Very vividly. Um, I was in his music school um the European side of Istanbul in a European building, you know, with high ceilings and beautiful elevator. And um, so I would always go there after school. And he said, okay, I have this song. Um, he played it. And the first thing I thought was, wow, I love it, but I'm not sure if they're going to like it in Eurovision. <laughs> that was my thought because it's so unusual, yeah. right? Um, and, uh, but that was part of his artistic stance, but we can talk about that later. But yes, it was in his music school, uh, where he first played it. online that the song first was in a different tempo and that you convinced your father to arrange it faster. No, uh, that's also not true. Um, so there were two songs. Um, originally, um, he uh, was going to present one song, which I was going to sing. And it was also, again, in his music school one day, he said, so I'm uh, going to compose the song for the national finals and I want you to sing it. And I remember hearing it in the kitchen, you know, in his school. And I thought about, what did I feel? And I, I can't remember. <laughs> Seni görüverdim, seni görüverdim Her zaman 
could. And then he played the song to me a few weeks later. And I said, Dad, is it possible to make another song where there could be a group and it could be faster and maybe we could dance? I mean, it was a beautiful song, but it was slow. It was very romantic with beautiful poetry. And at the time, I loved dancing, so I wanted to dance so much. <laughs> so I, I, I just said it, and he wasn't someone, you know, who could just who would just take an idea and say, oh yeah, of course I will do it. But I think he thought, yeah, that might work. Let me give it a try. Let's see. So that's how Bana Bana came out. Uh, who sang the demo? Uh, the demo. I don't remember us having a demo for the Turkish final. But did um, he play it on on a piano for you, or? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in his school. He just played it uh, in his office on the piano. Okay. And then he um, asked the three singers to join. How did the group Pan come about? Yeah, so he knew uh, the three singers. The two of them were already famous, known singers. Like Arzueje uh, was famous. She was a very good singer. And Vedat Sakman was also a well-known musician at the time. And Sarpar Semiz uh, also uh, had a beautiful voice and my father knew him. So he just thought of them and asked them and they were willing to uh, join. Was anyone else considered to sing the song or asked? I don't know. Not that I know of. Directly translated to English, Banabana means to me, to me. Yes. But I guess the lyrics have a deeper meaning. You know, I wish I could tell you that they have a very poetic meaning, but actually they don't. <laughs> and I think, um, well, my father um, wrote the lyrics. And uh, I think what he paid attention was, because when I heard the song, I thought, okay, the first song is written on this beautiful poetry, and the second song, the lyrics is a little bit weird, Dad. What are you doing? And I think he was going for the rhythm, for more the rhythmical elements in the language rather than the deeper meaning. It, it's it's really about um, uh, it's it's a love song, you know. If somebody leaves you, how can you do this to me? So you know the lyrics. So it's I don't think there's a deeper meaning in the lyrics, um, but. The music has a lot of complexity, and I think that's what my father was going for. The Swedish commentator in Lausanne, Jakob Dahlin, who we will talk more about later, described the song actually as a Turkish I will survive. But you wouldn't <laughs> sign off on that description. <laughs> oh my God. I Well, I mean, if if that's his take on it, then that's great. Yeah. That's great. I'll go with that. <laughs> did your father submit the song himself or how did it end up in the national final? Uh, how did he submit? I don't know the answer to this question. All I know was we met for the rehearsals over and over again. We practiced the choreography, costumes and everything and then we were on stage. So I really don't know what else happened between my father and the the national final people. You participated with one more song this evening, yes. titled Bir Rezimde Zen. Yes. Was that song originally written for you? 
Yes, that that song was written for the national final, and that was the song my father was planning originally when he told me in the kitchen, said, you know, I'm writing one song to the national final, and I want you to sing it. That was that song. <laughs> Take us back to your memories from the pre-selection held at the Ari TV studios in Ankara. Yes, yes. Ari means B. Mm. So, um, you know, I was very nervous to sing the song alone. There were a lot of wonderful Turkish musicians, by the way, who were participating. Really high-quality composers and singers. And actually... Um, one of the singers who participated there then was the winner of the Eurovision Song Contest, Sakta Perenet. Exactly. Uh, so I remember her. Um, there were many beautiful songs, many. And I was very nervous uh, because I was with all these beautiful musicians, wonderful musicians. And I remember just when I was waiting to go on stage, my knees were shaking. I was so nervous. I just wanted to run away. And with Bana Bana, with the group song, it was just pure joy because I felt so safe with the other singers, you know, who were so much more experienced than me. It was just pure joy. So I remember it as a very pleasant experience um, with the other musicians in Turkey, um, and also with the group, with the group Pan, uh, I thought our performance in Turkey was very warm and it was received very well as well. That's also uh, another thing I remember. Yeah, very beautiful, beautiful memories. As you said, several big artists and Eurovision legends competed there. Uh, Sertab Altin, now more known as Sertab Erener. We had Kayahan. Yes. Who the year after participated in Eurovision for Turkey? Yes. Yes. Uh, Nechu from 1982. Yes. And Masar Fuat Erskan. Yes, yes, yes. They competed 85 and 88. Na 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 na
you know, I have to say, Masaf Waterskan uh, was, I mean, as a group, I was, I was one of their fans. So I loved their song. And I also loved Kaya Han's song very much. Who did you see as your biggest competitor in the final? Everybody. Because here's the thing. With this uh, song contest, I mean, even if it's, it's called contest, I never thought I was competing. Really, I'm, I'm saying this very honestly. I was so overjoyed to be part of this. Um, and I was in awe just to watch the process, to be involved in the process, both in the Turkish finals and national finals and also in Lausanne. And what I remember when I go back to those years in my memory bank, the word connection comes up, not competition, but connection. That's what was so meaningful to me. So I wasn't competing with anybody. I really wasn't. If I went now, maybe, you know, I would have more of a competing feeling. But at that time, I wasn't competing. So that's actually great. That's the beginner's mind, I think. I was totally in beginner's mind. And by a margin of eight points, Bana Bana won. And your solo song ended third. Yes. What happened or, or directly after this victory? You know the saying that everybody has their 15-minute fame? Yeah. That was my uh, my 15-minute fame. It was only, you know, one channel in Turkey. And, of course, every and Eurovision was a very important thing in Turkey. Um, and so the country was really uh, focused on it. So um, I had my portion of a little bit of fame. And I have to say, it was very hard for me. Um, I don't think I was ready for it at all. Um, I didn't like the attention. I felt like I wanted to hide. I didn't want any criticism, any negative criticism or positive criticism. So my personality didn't do well with it uh, because I also felt like I didn't deserve it. I felt like fame should come after years of you know work, like knowing this is what I'm doing, years of you know investing in a profession so here is something that i said in the beginning i thought the attention i got was not because of me it was because i was my father's daughter and that's why mm-hmm. i didn't really earn it you know that was my feeling and i i had to it, it created a tension within me uh, because i felt like i wasn't good enough to earn that fame And yet here it was. And yeah, it was hard. It was hard for me. I'm, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. You're not babbling on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's very interesting. That's why I'm so quiet. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Celine Dion won the year before for Switzerland and the contest was held in Lausanne. What are your memories from the host city? Oh my God. Ah, so many beautiful memories. I have to say the very first memory that comes to my mind is our guide. Irene was her name. She was Swiss and she was so kind. Um, her husband was Turkish and she spoke a little bit of Turkish. So that's the first thing I remember. Very kind guide. And then I remember again the connection I felt with the other contestants. I spoke English and German at the time. So I remember 
talking with the Austrian team. I remember talking with the Dutch team, uh, especially the Greek, the uh, Cyprus. I still remember the, uh, the Cyprus songs. I memorized the words Israeli. It's just um, Switzerland, the, the team from Switzerland. I still remember them. Um, it was such a wonderful atmosphere of connection. I, I, I loved being there. Can you tell us about something interesting that happened behind the scenes? Uh, yes. I don't know if it will be interesting, but for me it is. Um, so we had these parties, right? Every delegation had a party. And so, you know, people went and it was a wonderful opportunity to meet each other. And in the Turkish party, after a while, I remember my father was on the piano, the Greek team was right behind the piano, I was with them, and then the drummer, uh, the Turkish drummer, was um, creating this rhythm with knives and forks and glasses, and we were just singing Turkish songs, and everybody was joining, and then we danced the, this dance called Halay in Turkish, it's, it's like a traditional dance and, and the Greek know it very well. I remember that. It was such a joyful moment for me. Again, where uh, everybody came together. I don't know if this is interesting, but for me, it's, it's an unforgettable moment. Um, and there were several of that, those moments where we just started singing and everybody joined. It's rare to have those atmospheres. That's why I think they stuck in my memory so vividly. How was the tension in the group and in the delegation during the stay in Lausanne? In the group pan? Yeah. Um, I remember the Turkish national final was warmer within the group. And during the Lausanne, uh, there was a little bit of a distance. Again, I'm talking from feeling. I'm not talking from a logical uh, part of my brain right now. I'm just talking when I feel into myself. Yeah. I think that the Turkish final was warmer and the uh, Switzerland performance, the group dynamic was different. But uh, watching the performance of my father and the performance of the orchestra was amazing. And the song... Uh, has, I don't know if I should go into it. Wait, let me just answer your question and then you'll ask further. So that's that's my sense. <laughs> I shut up. Uh, the reason I'm asking is because one year ago I talked to Arzu Eze mm. over the phone. Okay. Uh, we didn't record it. Yes. And she told me that the budget from TRT, okay. the Turkish radio television, was extremely tight. And when the other contestants came with merchandise and record company support and fan clubs and CDs and gifts and whatever, you only had a resume handwritten on a piece of paper and some cassettes with the song on. And that she felt so ashamed. Oh, really? Is that your memory of it too? No. Well, you know, she's talking, of course, from a professional stance. Look, she was a famous professional singer. So, of course, she's going to have different memories, um, different feelings about it. I, I didn't have those, those feelings or memories. Because I, again, I was in a different brain space back then, you know, 16 years old. Yeah. When did you talk to them last time? Oh my God, 
I don't even remember. So uh, the group pun, pun was uh, created just for the Eurovision, right? So after the song contest, everybody went their own way and they were professional musicians, so they went on with their careers. Uh, I saw Vedat Sakman in 2005. We participated in a television program together with my father and him and me. I was there, so I saw him. And Sarper, I, I don't know when I saw him last time. And Arzu, I, I really don't know when I saw her last time. Maybe the Lausanne was, was the last time, really. We did speak a couple times, but I, didn't, I don't think I saw her. What were the rehearsals like? Um, the, so the music rehearsals would happen in my father's uh, music school. And so, you know, we would go and we would sing, learn our parts and everything. And um, I thought they were very productive. And then we would also have the dance uh, rehearsals, which would happen. Uh, my mother at the time had a dance school, so we would rehearse in the dance school. And I thought those were a lot of fun because we were in a dance studio and we were moving, we were laughing. My father's rehearsals were a little more uh, serious and the dance uh, uh, rehearsals were more fun. That's my memory, but I don't know what uh, they were thinking. Uh, I've heard that your father wasn't happy with the drummer in the orchestra and replaced him. Yes! Is this true? Yes, that's true! That's true, (laughs) Emil! That's true! (laughs) Well, because he was using very complex Turkish rhythms, right? And yeah. if you are not familiar with those rhythms, it's very hard to master them in a few days. And that's why he brought the drummer and also the percussion player, who is my uncle, uh, because he suspected that there would be this problem. And in fact, he wasn't, uh, yeah, I mean, the drummer needed some uh, some more rehearsal time and they didn't have that rehearsal time. So yes, so the Turkish drummer and percussionist um, went in. Fabulous. <laughs> yeah. What can you tell us about your choreography? years ago when I watched it on YouTube something dawned to me this is interesting so I was very involved with the process of the choreography I loved dancing at the time and I loved you know coming up with movements and everything and of course I wasn't the only person but um, uh, I did have opinions and one opinion that I had was so you know let the women move and the man can be more stable. And then a few years ago, when I watched it, I said, oh my God, this is complete projection of my life on stage. The segregation of men and women. It's not because of the Turkish culture. It's because I was going to an Austrian high school at the time and I was studying with only girls and the guys were next door. Right. So I was actually my life was about segregation. I was. So it's very interesting how that was on stage. And I mean, I it's I'm not saying I choreographed the song. I mean, there were other people who thought 
uh, okay, that that makes sense. This is good. We go with this. I mean, of course, they would have said, let's let's do something different. But I remember it was it was an idea for me, and it's a total projection. And we must talk about your stage outfits, the ethnic costumes. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So what do you want to talk about them? I want to know how did you get them? Were they tailored for you? Yes, yes. They were tailored for us. We went to the Grand Bazaar in Istanbul. We bought the material ourselves. We found the tailor and we talked. We And this was, you know, Arzu was with us as well. So it was a collaboration. Everybody had their ideas. And for the guys also, we we consulted them too. But they would know better. Um, <laughs> maybe we didn't. I don't know. Well, it, it's a female thing, right? Especially in the Turkish culture. It's like, okay, the clothes, let's... Uh, the females in the team were more involved with that. And at the time, we loved the costumes. And also, the Turkish audience loved the costumes as well. For Lausanne, we were planning to uh, have different costumes. And I remember on one newspaper, it, it, there was the show. So this, these are the costumes Grupan is going to wear in Lausanne. And they were beautiful too. But I remember several people on the street Like people I don't know coming to me and saying, "No, where are the other costumes? They were they looked better on you." Yeah, I mean as a group. So yeah, it, yeah. it was very interesting. And then yeah, we ended up uh, wearing those cost um, the first costumes, and then the other ones we wore, you know, in other occasions. Do you still have the outfit? Yes, I do. When did you wear it last time? <laughs> I. <laughs> <laughs> Good question. I mean, no, I I didn't wear the outfit, but I I still have it. Beautiful. You said it before that you remembered uh, several of your opponents from eight to nine. Mm -hmm. Did you have any personal favorites among them? Oh, my favorites. Uh, I loved the winner. Yugoslavia. Yes, I loved their song. thought about them you know when the war happened in Yugoslavia I thought of them hope that they were okay um yes I love their song I love Cyprus song I love Netherlands so as you I don't speak Dutch, but I still remember, and she sang it so beautifully. I rem I loved uh, Finland, the song from Finland was... La Dolce Vita. Yes, yes, La Dolce Vita. Annelies Saristo. She sang it so beautifully. La Dolce Vita on ollut kaikki tuon suloista niin. La Dolce Vita ei aihetta kyyneliin. Minä sammutin elämän janoa vaan, minä osasin onnea anoa vaan, jälkeen kaiken nyt saatan sen sanoa vaan. La dolce vita. There were many. Of course, because I spoke German, I love the Austrian song. But uh, 
there were many. Uh, I, I can't think of them right now, but those are the few ones that, that I can think of. According to the bookmakers, Israel, Sweden and West Germany had the lowest odds. And Turkey had the highest. A victory for you would have paid 80 to 1. And despite that, you were ranked number one, according to the journalists mm. on site who voted among themselves. Wow. And you drew the biggest cheers during the evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I, I mean, it wasn't a surprise for me, really. I mean, even I was very young, it wasn't hard to predict because you know the walls between cultures were so thick at the time uh, there was no internet uh, there was no uh, real exchange between the cultures i think and we participated with a song that had very strong traditional authentic elements and this yeah. was also an artistic stance of my father for his whole life. He really um, honored the authentic traditional elements of Turkish music and combined it with the Western music making tools, you know, the polyphonic music. And he did it in such a sophisticated and masterful way. Um, And that was his artistic stance and it needs some getting used to. And, um, That's what I thought when I first heard the song. Like I said, I thought, oh, the Eurovision people won't like this. And what I meant by Eurovision people is the jury, because I imagined their ears will not be used to it. But it is interesting that, like you said, the journalists and also uh, we heard it when we were in Lausanne that Bana Bana was their favorite song. So it's very interesting to have that discrepancy. Uh, I am not sure. Uh, why that discrepancy was there. I'm pretty sure if the televoters would have deci- yes. decided, you would be in top five, Probably. at least. Probably. Probably. Um, you got one point from Spain and four points from the last year in Yugoslavia. And Yugoslavia won with the song Rock Me, mm-hmm. the United Kingdom came second and Denmark third. Mm-hmm. What happened directly after Eurovision? I mean, did you have more commitments immediately afterwards as a group or was it back home to life like it was before? Yeah, no, it was back. Everybody went uh, their own ways. They, again, they had already careers. My father had his career. He had a lot of things to do. You know, Eurovision was a very small snippet of the musical work he has done. And I went back to my high school, tried to raise my falling grades, you know. <laughs> so everything <laughs> went back to normal, really. And yet, everything went back to normal, but for me, with huge richness, you know, uh, with a beautiful memory, with a huge, rich experience. And when I think back 30 years later, I still smile. That's a big deal. Yeah. In Sweden, the commentator was the famous and beloved Jakob Dalin, who praised the Turkish entry to incredible heights. Wow. And he later invited you to his TV show, yes. Karamba. Yes. What do you remember of that? Oh, my God. So, again, you know, it's very interesting. When I think back, the first thing that comes up is feelings. Also, when I think back of your vision... Uh, do I have a good feeling, bad feeling? Um, and then the, the details come. When I first think back of the time in Sweden, again I smile. 
I remember the kindness of the people, the kindness of the person who was asking questions, the kindness of the people in the studio, the kindness of the person who took us from the airport. Um, that's the first thing I, I remember. It, it was a beautiful experience. Actually, I got sick. I had very high fever as soon as, I, as we landed. It was unfortunate. But despite that, I, I remember it to be a very good experience and I thought the remix was amazing. Why were you only three members at that time in Sweden? So, uh, that's a good question. And that question we were asked also, and I really didn't know, uh, but I, I, I think Arzu just went her own way and she no longer wanted to be involved uh, with the group. I think that's what happened. Um, but uh, you have to ask her about that. I asked her actually. Okay. Maybe I will cut this off, but I, I actually asked her. But, but she said that ne- no one asked her. No one so asked her why. to join, really. Yeah. That's interesting. The song was remixed, as you said, by the super duo Ola Håkansson and Tim Norell, who had written the Swedish entry "En Dag" the same year. Did you know that? I don't. You didn't? No, I didn't. <laughs> They were the composer of the Swedish entry, uh, and like Jakob Dahlin fell in love with the oriental beat of your song. Shall we take a listen to the Swedish remix? Yes. Did you hear that uh, last time? Several years ago, maybe three, four years ago. Do you have the single? I do, yes. Yeah, yes. me too. Yes, you do, yeah. yeah. How do you like the photo on the front? <laughs> <laughs> the profiles, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember when I bought it, I, I really missed the Arzo on it. I was like, where is yeah, she? <laughs> yeah, No, you absolutely, absolutely. I, I really don't know the details of it. And again, um, I'm not sure if her explanation really reflects the whole whole thing, but uh, because it doesn't make sense, why would nobody ask her? It, it, it's it's very. I'm I'm still thinking about that. Uh, what you told me, so um, I'm confused about that. Hmm. And I and I missed her as well because she was a very integral part of it. She's a way better singer than I am, you know, at the time especially. Um, so I definitely missed her big time. The song became a minor hit here in Sweden, and sadly, 
two years later, the beloved Jakob Dahlin died after a battle with AIDS. How much would you say that Banabana and Eurovision has affected your life? That's a good question. Um, I think experiencing uh, this pleasant memory, this rich pleasant memory, definitely was a great start for me. Uh, but the like I said, the I had issues around fame, and uh, so I think that made me move away. And I went on to uh, going to conservatory and studying, and I chose a little bit of a different path. Um, it's not because of Eurovision or Banabana, but I think maybe it helped me clarify what I really wanted for myself. So it it, it it is definitely, it was a very important experience. Have you submitted anything or been asked to compete in a national final again no. after 89? I don't think so. Um, that's a good question. I don't know if my father was asked, but even if he were asked, I don't think he would have wanted. Um, because it it was so special. It was such a special experience. And I think... It's great that we did it once and yeah. that was it, you know? And he got his passport. Yes, he did. I have one memory in it I want to yeah. share with you because this is funny. Uh, I studied in Boston uh, at the Boston Conservatory. This is like around 1999. And I'm uh, in the library of the Boston Conservatory. And there was somebody from Cyprus, a singer. She was also attending the conservatory. So... You know, I we were talking. I really like people from Greece and Cyprus, and I feel very close to them. So I was very excited that she was there, and I was talking. And suddenly, the subject of Eurovision came up, and she said, "Oh," I, and she had no idea that I participated. She said, oh, "Oh, I remember this one Turkish entry with this crazy maestro." <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, that's interesting. Do you remember the song? <laughs> she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. These, these girls, you know, with these like ethnic dresses, white, and they're dancing a little bit crazy. And this, oh my God, this crazy maestro. Yeah, 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 I remember. And she started singing and I joined her. And she said, you know the song, right? I said, yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty familiar with the maestro as well. <laughs> It was amazing for both it's of hilarious. us. Yes, yes. <laughs> Turkey hasn't participated in the contest since 2013, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. What's your What's your view on Turkey no longer competing in the contest? I think it's a pity. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's all I can say. I think it's a pity. I I hope that um, it will it will be different. What are you doing today in your life? Um, I am working as a psychotherapist uh, in California. Um, I uh, studied movement theater um, and then I also studied psychology. I wanted to bring arts and therapy uh, together. Yeah. And uh, I am doing that. I'm also continuing to make music. I'm working on an album after mm. my father's death. Yes, uh, it's called Grief. So I'm processing you know, my grief through music. And um, it's the first time I'm writing songs myself, uh, not just the lyrics. I've been arranging uh, songs. So 
it's been a very rich process. I feel like finally I'm bringing my two passions together. It's the arts and the psychology. So uh, finally, you know, those two seas or oceans are, are coming together. So I'm, I'm happy about it. Shall we play your song Grief? Yeah, that you oh, released last year. Yes, you know about it. Yes. November 6th, 2020, your father sadly passed away, 74 years old. For those of us that never met him, what can you tell us about him? That's a great question. And as soon as you asked me the question, I feel like, oh my God, I won't be able to do justice. Um, but I will try, Emil. Um, my father was my mentor, my friend, and my father. So it's a very rich relationship and huge loss. Um, he was an idealist for sure. Um, he served, uh, he lived for music, that's for sure. He loved his work. I mean, the, the amount of work he has done is incredible. After he passed away, of course, you know, now we have to we have access to all the work it's it's incredible the love and the not only love but the expertise he put into his work um, yeah he was an idealist he loved his country and he was very angry uh, with certain things about his country but he also considered himself as a world citizen and he said anybody who, maybe fighting is not the right word, but I'm going to use it because I, I can't think of another word. Anybody who fights for fairness and equality is his friend. Doesn't matter which country, you know, which part of the world, he felt connected to those people. Um, he uh, was a very sensitive uh, person. With a shell, for, first you would go like, oh, you know, can I approach him? He had that shell. But once he trusted you, or he felt good with you, he would open up, and he was an amazing teacher. The, the last six, seven months of his life, uh, we had beautiful conversations on the phone. I couldn't go to Turkey because of the pandemic, and I'm very grateful for these conversations uh, that we had. We just talked about, you know, what's important in life? Like these, and I think in those conversations, probably he was saying his goodbyes slowly. So anyway, I don't know if this answer is making any sense. I'm a little lost because it brings up so much in me. Yeah, I totally understand that. Do you have any favorite songs from his gigantic repertoire? Huh. I have so many, um, but there's one song uh, I actually am going to sing collaborating with a musician. It's called Birgün, One Day. 
the poetry is amazing. And when I listened to the song after his death, I just, I just cried. I couldn't sing the song without crying for a long time. And when you read the poetry, I think you'll understand what I mean. Um, it, it just touches me so much. I think it's one of my, one of his favorite songs. I mean, one of my favorite songs of him. You are the second artist from Turkey I have talked to in this podcast. Who do you suggest I should invite? Hmm. Wow, there are so many amazing people who participated. So, of course, Sertap Erener, I mean, without question. Uh, but also Mor ve Ötesi, they were one of my favorites, and Group Manga was uh, yeah. my yeah. Those those two were my favorite. Jok Tesekuler Hazal. Yeah, the oh, how do I say uh, in Swedish? Um, <laughs> you're welcome. How do I say that? Oh my God, Taksumit Kihuelde. Yeah, yeah, it works. Yes, yes, you learn fast. Yes, good, good. <laughs> Amy, thank you so much. This was a lot of pleasure to talk with you. You made me feel so comfortable. Really, thank you for that. Um, thank you for listening. If they have listened to this far, um, it's 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 wonderful, and um, I hope that these uh, difficult days that we have gone through as a whole world. Uh, will soon be over and we will be able to connect again face to face. That's that's what I'm hoping. Believe me, they have listened till now because you are one of the most remembered songs oh. from the history of Eurovision. How beautiful! That makes me happy. What a what a beautiful thing! I mean, uh, that's really the purpose of of joining this beautiful event. You know, again. Uh, It's great to have high points, but even if you don't, and, and, and if people are remembering, well, that's that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks to you, my dear listeners around the world. Don't hesitate to contact me on our social medias at Facebook and Instagram or the old-fashioned way, email at schlagervandrena.se. I hope you enjoyed this touching episode with me and Hazal Zelchuk. And if you did, subscribe to the podcast, write a review and tell your friends about Eurovision Legends. <laughs>